Raven here, coming at you with another episode of Plants Save My Life, where I interview scientists, shamans, therapists, and patients who have all witnessed life-changing effects from plant medicine. This week, I'm sitting down with Sarah Lyons of Dandelions Alchemy. Sarah is a cosmetic chemist specializing in plant chemistry as well as Ayurvedic medicine, the oldest school of medicine in the world. Together, we're going to be discussing her journey in plant medicine, the future of holistic care, and what inspired her to develop a plant-based topical for chronic pain. So join me as we welcome Sarah Lyons to the show. Also, a quick disclaimer, while I make every effort to broadcast correct information, I myself am still learning. I promise to double-check all my facts, but I realize that plant medicine is a constantly changing science and art, so the views and opinions expressed on this show are intended purely for educational and informative purposes. No topics are intended to be construed as medical advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining Plant Save My Life today. I know you have a profound background, not only in cosmetic chemistry, but also plant chemistry. And you mentioned that before then you studied Ayurvedic medicine. And I would love if you don't mind introducing yourself for the listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today, Raven. I, you know, I really respect what you're doing with your podcast. I think that is why we all get into this essentially, right? And, you know, a little bit of my background is, you know, like you said, I'm, I do plant chemistry. I'm a cosmetic chemist. I started in uh, the Vedic realm, learning uh, Sanskrit and studying the Vedas and, you know, finding my my gurus through, you know, Ayurveda and also actually Jyotish, which is the the basically the Vedic form of astrology. And so it's it's sort of a lot of different limbs of system there. And what really kickstarted my journey is I started falling very chronically ill with, you know, many illnesses, whether it was, you know, gut issues or even physical disabilities. And so, I almost feel like I didn't even, I didn't even have a choice not to study this stuff because I was put into corners where, you know, traditional Western medicine just didn't have any answers for myself. And so, you know, there's two options people can take in those positions and it's rather accept your fate, which was very dim at the time or figure something else out. So I've grown to love both the spiritual and the scientific aspect of, you know, what these plants are doing for us. Yeah, likewise. I feel like for some of us, there is no real choice. You're faced with having to learn yourself. And like you said, I do believe wholeheartedly in the the benefits they give us, not only spiritually, but also mentally and physically for our actual like biology and for medicine. And with that said, that, that's one thing I really like about the Vedas is that they provide kind of the framework for both, the more holistic viewpoint. And I think it's really admirable that you actually went through the, the process of learning Sanskrit prior yeah, because the thing is, is Sanskrit's almost a hidden code. It is, yeah. And so even if you translate into Hindi, you're still missing a lot. And so, you know, my teacher always drilled into us is, you know, there are secrets to learning Ayurveda even t- into the grammar of Sanskrit itself. So, you know, there's a reason why, you know, NASA studied Sanskrit to actually learn how very basic AI could actually be formed because it's almost a mechanical system. Wow, that's actually really interesting and definitely respectable because Sanskrit is incredibly complex. And like you said, being able to receive the information in their true form and as opposed to something as translated, you're going to be able to pick up on those, like you mentioned, like kind of the hidden codes and the hidden meanings that are in there, even just coded away in the grammar. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all can probably detest like English is a very flat language. There's not much meaning behind it. And I think that's 
what has formed, you know, the culture that we have today that seems to be so neglected from nature. Every indigenous culture never had a separate word in their language for nature. So, you know, going back to trying to relearn how to get there in a system that seems so divided, I think is all of our missions here. Yeah, that's a really good point. Kind of like kind of like how in certain cultures they don't have a word like I was recently reading a book about a gentleman who studied went over to I believe Bangladesh and he stayed on a he he stayed in an ashram and he, they were they were beside themselves with the concept of self-hate. That was something that they didn't even conceptualize. It's not part of their vocabulary mm-hmm. mentally or even like language mo- vocabulary. And and I think that says a lot about their culture. They didn't even have that as part of their life. And here in America, we have nuances and layers and different feelings and waves of self-hate. And there, they couldn't even really grasp the concept of it. Um, exactly. Similarly, yeah, similarly with the Vedas and other cultures, if they don't have a separate word for nature to actually distinguish us from that or us from them, it really drills in that we are part of that. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's kind of where I start when it comes to, you know, introducing people as to like, their first question is, why, why are you bringing up this, this plant medicine? If we have, if how much money do we spend billions of dollars a year? These, these, these scientists, how can, how, how are you figuring out something that they're missing? But my biggest philosophy with that is if we have come from nature itself, we, we have developed from the rhythms of nature, the more that you add humans like inventing things. So the more that you're trying to invent something that is not what our bodies were used to evolve on, essentially, that's when the disease starts. So my biggest example too, is just the fact that we have genetically modified wheat to the point where our guts can't digest it. You know, and then that that spews out all of these other different medical issues. And it, it stems from the fact that we are separating the the essentially amazing supercomputers that we are from this, the source of which that 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 bred us. And so if you take if you if you slice that out of it and you're trying to create these new things that may or may not work, you start really disrupting the natural flow of your system the same way that ecosystems work. Our body is 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 genuinely just a mini version of that yeah that's a good way to put it our body is just a mini version of an ecosystem especially whenever you consider our gut bacteria and then looking evolutionarily how we may have absorbed other organisms and things it is very interesting to see that we are just a culmination of many other living things including our consciousness yeah yeah and you know i even when it comes to plant medicine i feel like even like water water consciousness could even come into play itself you know there's there's been I've I've actually recently gotten into just like that vast amount of research and it's crazy the the memory that water holds. So if water can hold memory, what what can plants do? I think like I think that's why people love shilajit so much because how many you know thousands of years ago was that plant DNA put there that is now being reintroduced to our system? Yeah, yeah, really good point. And one thing you mentioned or you kind of touched on is that our Western medicine perspective has all these fallacies that lead us to where we're not able to address certain medical conditions in the same way that more traditional Vedic principles that prefer, that provide more holistic plant-based routes might do. So I'd love to know your thoughts on how clinical trial research plays a role in validating the efficacy of these ancient herbal knowledges. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when you start getting into clinical research in general, there 
yes, you can you can publish a clinical research report and there can still be fallacies in that. That's why it's really, really important for everyone to do their own research. You know, don't just follow, you know, one one person's opinion, right? I'm not I'm not gonna be preaching that. But what I have found is, you know, there's even fallacies in the way that they present, you know, Western data too in those public trials. And it can really stem from, you know, let's say, you know, there's some sort of monopoly around, you know, financing for a certain product. Another big issue too around those things is the fact that legally you're not allowed to tell people the 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 plant ingredients that are helping you on over-the-counter medicine. You have to just say it's inactive solely because the FDA essentially gatekeeps the fact that you can get more things approved. So even down to turmeric, you can't say that does anything. Despite mass amounts of clinical research on it, you just have to say it it's a natural colorant. But wow. then when you yeah, it's crazy. But then when you go into, you know, the genuine clinical trials, and it also you have to t- look at it too. We're just reading it in the Western world. In India, there's a whole system of there's Ayurvedic hospitals there that are doing research. And the biggest thing that I found actually even let's say let's let's take a, a successful Western trial on treating COPD. And we take a successful trial of COPD treatment in an Ayurvedic hospital. The Western will actually heal the COPD a lot faster, but then the patient comes around and gets different issues down the line because your body doesn't like anything too fast. If you do something too fast to it, it's going to mess up. Whereas in the Ayurvedic hospital, they, they, I think the timeline was maybe three to four months compared to two weeks. But after that four month treatment trial, the, the, the patient was cured. He didn't have any other issues. He can go on with his life. And so seeing the, seeing the types of different clinical research between the two worlds of thought, you really have to take an account as to what, what is it? What is the long term, And is the short term quick fix? What is that doing to disrupt other portions of your system? Because it's just not a natural way for your body to heal. And we can kind of see that with the pipeline that we're all exposed to over here, where you take, let's say you take this medicine to solve your heart issues, and then you have to take this medicine to solve your depression, then you have to take this medicine so you can sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And then none of those things are really solving whatever the core issue is, it's just solving one symptom that's caused by another medicine, or at least that tends to be the case. So like you said, with our sort of Western clinical perspective, being able to cure COPD, and then whatever the cure may be, or whatever the actual treatment protocol may be, isn't actually treating the whole. So these Ayurvedic hospitals, with their even their own research framework, which is really interesting and I want to dig into, but even with their own research framework, they take into account the more holistic aspect to make sure that the entirety is being healed and that you're not going to have to come back in a few months for another silver bullet pharmaceutical. Exactly. And then if people are saying they have sleep issues, my first question is, what time do you go to bed and when do you get off your phone? And do you have and do you wake up with the sun? It's not just like a, a not just a yogi thing, like our bodies are meant for circadian rhythm. And I speak about this from personal experience, because for many years, I myself had an intense amount of sleep issues. Um, but just adjusting lifestyle changes prior to medication, I think is one of the other major differences between the two philosophies, which goes back to the amount of time it takes to heal, right? Someone wants a quick, I want to take this pill. Now I want to throw a pill at it. I don't want to work with my body. We're so we're so detached from our bodies that we're just treating it as some sort of vending machine instead of the vehicle that we're essentially, you know, praying to every day. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really good point to underline is that that kind of highlights the differences between the two schools of thought, wanting to take a pill and actually, you know, just just get it better right now or actually wanting to highlight the lifestyle changes necessary. And I think that there is a there is a contingency here in the West that is promoting that sort of thing. Still to this day, though, I've never once had a doctor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a dietitian or anyone ever ask me if I meditate. And I feel like mm -hmm. maybe they should, you know? They should, but you know what? I I can't make money off of that. I make money off of selling you the pill. <laughs> Meditation is free. So even with a lot of my inflammation of my body, I, I deal with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and arthritis, but a lot of those symptoms actually subsided just by taking you know gluten out of my diet. There's a lot of things you can do where you can start seeing effects almost instantly itself, but it takes a little bit more discipline. You know, when you grow up in a society that you walk down the street, and everything, all the food that's accessible to you is not something that, that, you know, you can essentially eat without it affecting anything, you know, in a harmful way. It takes a lot of self-autonomacy that I think a lot of our society also doesn't preach. We're always relying on someone else to fix this or that. But it's good to ask for help, but it's like, what can, what, what can I do to take responsibility for myself? Yeah, really good point. And I know we're not necessarily talking about psychoactive plants right now, but that it seems to be a recurring theme on this show is that the psychoactive plants tend to show us that that we can help ourselves, that we have the power to learn and the power to heal from inside ourselves, as opposed to just like having someone else do it, having a prescription do it for us. Like, I think that's the biggest thing we're learning. I worry sometimes that we're taking the same silver bullet ideology and applying it to this new plant medicine renaissance. But that is something I think mm. a lot about. And something you said earlier really struck home, especially in regards to like having, you know, having to deal with the lifestyle issues and gut and gastrointestinal issues is that wheat, which has been a staple to the human diet for God, thousands of years, millennia at this point, has been genetically modified and mutated to something that a lot of the population can't even digest. And I think that really says a lot. I mean, that's all of our all of our fruit, all of our animals. Like a lot of what we take in is indistinguishable from, or it's we can no longer recognize it from what it used to be. Exactly, and it, again, it stems from industrialization and essentially the the economic factor of it. Like ancient grains are a lot harder to monotonize offer because of the way that it's grinded, the way that it's processed. Um, it's a lot more labor intensive, and also the shelf life is not the same. So when we started, you know, moving into more of a society that was so gridlocked into a nine to five, people stopped having enough time to cook for themselves. So they had to rely more on preserved shelf food, longer, longer shelf life food, essentially, to live, you know, home cooking every meal became a thing of the past, right? So we're adapting into this new future of productivity. But then in the process, what are we neglecting with ourselves? And, you know, you, you do bring up the, the psychoactive plant medicine. There is definitely a place for that. I do agree there, there it is, you know, there can be, you know, a morphing of to that similar culture. Um, but I was actually talking to someone the other day. It's more so, you know, when this plant medicine honoring the, the ritualistic spiritual portions of it, instead of just, you know, taking it out of like a Ziploc baggie and doing it just the same way you could take an Adderall. I think that's what makes a, a difference to it, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Because I think that that's one thing they teach us is it's not just about the chemicals entering your body. It's about the yeah. whole entire experience. Even, I mean, even like the week leading into the experience, what kind of stuff you're eating? How do you feel spiritually, mentally? I think all those things play a role in 
if anything is to learn from this plant medicine renaissance, a psychedelic renaissance, if you want to call it, it's that it's all part of a whole. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So with all that said, I also want to ask, what inspired you to develop the Muscle Bomb as your company's first product? So the Muscle Bomb, it came from my own personal journey of, of genuine chronic pain with when I got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, essentially what that is, is my body doesn't know, the DNA doesn't know how to synthesize collagen correctly. And so without collagen, you know, that's all what your joints and muscle fibers are. And so it creates a plethora of health issues, whether it's gut issues, because your gut isn't properly working, it can affect your vagus nerve, it can affect just your joint pains in general. And so I got to the point where I was 23. And I I couldn't even get out of bed to go to my own birthday, because my body had just disintegrated to the point of being immovable. But then I, you know, at the time I was still just studying, but I, due to my health issues, I was like, okay, well, let me take this time and figure out what, what can we do from a physical standpoint? Because in, in Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome community, when you're diagnosed with that, it's a very, very depressing experience because there's no actual cure for it in the West. The, the only thing that you can really do is you can take painkillers the rest of your life which is not something that <laughs> is doable, truly. So no, that's not quality uh, of life at all. No, not quality of life. And it almost made me upset. I was like, well, you know, it's something that so many, you know, these people deal with, but they're basically getting offered this just like weird, like weird end of life sort of feel where it's like, well, it is what it is. And, you know, you read through the stories. It's so sad. And I just, re- I just rejected it. I was like, you know what? There has to be some sort of way And so I delve really deep into topical pain medication. And what I actually wanted to focus on is I wanted to bring, and this was at the point where like CBD topicals were very, very popular. Um, But as I learned more and more about herbalism from, you know, all around the world, I realized that there are a lot of different herbs that you can start formulating that also have a lot of good, you know, self-soothing effects, not only that, but also transdermal. And also it can affect both, you know, their, your skin's going to feel really bad. You can use it on that, but then it can also get soaked really deep and stop the inflammation markers in the muscle fibers itself. So I went from barely being able to move every day to, you know, creating this muscle balm, consistently doing an upkeep of, you know, daily oil massage for body. And I was able to start living a normal life again. So it really just, it came from, um, my own personal journey. And then once I found that, I was like, well, more people, you know, need need this. And I felt very, very compelled because my heart breaks for the people that, you know, whether they don't have enough money for, you know, holistic consultation, or they have not been introduced to it. I wanted to make something very accessible to them, because I also found a lot of, you know, whether it was Western or, you know, natural medicine muscle bumps in the market, I didn't feel like it was hitting what what people severe pain needed. Yeah, that's a really good point because like you said, there are a lot of muscle bombs on the market. A lot of them may be formulated with plant chemicals like eucalyptol or something, but they might be, but they're not really hitting what people need for real deep chronic pain, especially something with the connective tissues, which I wanted to ask. I'm only partially familiar with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Just to confirm, is that a condition where where your like shoulders and stuff might pop out is that, is yes. that a, common, a common symptom of that? It is, yeah, because the 
the the decrease in collagen is making everything very loose. And so like every time people with EDS walk, it's going to feel like I would say like it, your body is held together with essentially rubber bands. When you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, those those rubber bands are pulled a lot more and they're not tight. So that's essentially what that is. And it, it causes it it causes a lot of chronic pain, chronic fatigue and just uh, you know, don't even, don't even think about living somewhere that's cold with it. <laughs> wow. <Like> it, <laughs> I would love to hear about like kind of the trial and error developing the muscle bomb. Which plants did you try until you found some that actually worked? Well, there, there was two sides to it is, and, and I'm also going to bring this up too, from, you know, a natural side of things is I, I also in the process talked with a lot of people that said, well, I tried this natural thing. It didn't work. I think in the natural community, we are so we are so in love with the plants that I think we forget sometimes the small details of, let's say, the chemistry and the proper formulating of it. So we have this faith in this something that's very potentially healing, but it comes up short because you're not adding the mechanics to it. And so one of the biggest things that I had to do while formulating the balms is just figuring out the proper dermal limits that it, would, it, it wouldn't cause desensitization of your skin and, and burn you but it would have enough effect that it would work the same as prescription. So it was, it was one portion of that. And the second portion actually was figuring out, like we, we talked previously of what, what oil format will let you get that transdermal effect because there are, when you're formulating with butters and oils, there's going to be a molecular weight of each one. And some oils are going to be able to get absorbed deep into the skin and others just sit on the top. So I saw a lot of products in the market not being formulated correctly. And so I, I, for the first time in my life, I really, really, truly understood what a mad scientist felt like. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that felt nice though, like mixing up all your salves and your bombs and all like your apothecary and everything. I bet that felt very nice. Oh yeah. It's the, one of, one of my favorite things about the balm is the scent. And I know there's been so much, you know, slander with essential oils and I get it. There are products out there that are not formulated correctly with essential oils that are burning people's skins. And so people have been actually very, I've had to have conversations actually with, with stores that wanted to sell the products, but they're like, well, our demographic, they don't, they're really scared of essential oils. And I was like, that's such a shame because you can't, you can't get certain medicinal properties from plants if you're macerating the oil. It needs to be a very, very focused concentrate such an essential oil with the correct dermal amount to get the to get the relief that you need. Yeah, really good point. So are you allowed to share what the constituents of the balm are? Yeah, so the I mean, it, it's totally not a secret. I, I, I legally have to tell you what, <laughs> what's in on my website. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I have ashwagandha in it because ashwagandha topically is really great. I love ashwagandha even just for like a mood stabilizer drink. And I and I want to do like a, a, a quick like PSA because I've, <laughs> I've seen people overtake ashwagandha too and be like, I don't feel anything anymore. And I'm like, well, this is this is why we need rules, guys, even for plants. But it it's good as like a very, very it's an adaptogen, but then it also helps those biomarkers on your skin. And then it also has Arnica, which is, Arnica is really amazing for bruises. So what's going to happen when you are, you know, working with your, with muscle pain is there's actually going to be mini bruising inside too. So you need to make sure that all those are getting hit. Wild oregano, wild oregano is really great in terms of, you know, we, we think of it as putting it in our tea, but it's actually really, really good for anti-inflammatory. 
And then actually something called Yan Huswo, which is a fascinating herb from TCM. And it is actually similar to the, the, the trials have actually seen it similar to a morphine effect, except it's non-addictive and it does not have a potency issue. Like you, your system can actually build up a resistance to, to morphine, but with this, and then, then shea butter is also a really important ingredient too, because I, when it comes to picking your butters, it's very important. And what I like to really emphasize with this product, and you'll see this if you buy it, is those main six ingredients are on the side with their with their flags and country of origin of where I source it from. Because where plants are native is where it, it, there's multiple facets of it. You need to support the economy from where it's coming from. You can't just take and two oregano that's grown let's say in ohio will not have the same healing effect as where it has been basically developed in you know in greece so you when you're even as if you're starting a company or you're looking at natural products to use you want to make sure that you know your manufacturer is sourcing the ingredients correctly oh yeah especially whenever it comes to things like plants because there's so many unintended side effects and so much unintentional harm whenever it comes to mass cultivating or commercially used plants. So it is really nice that thoughtful, mindful that you put the country of origin on there, because like you said, the, that really does matter. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm very passionate too, even about the shea butter sourcing is I, I work with a company called Baraka Shea Butter and it's, it's, it's fair trade shea butter because there are a lot of issues when it comes to sourcing shea butter, especially as the entire world just like boomed with the fact that, wow, this is like an amazing cosmetic ingredient, not just for like health reasons. But in the process, a lot of Ghana women were, were, were essentially put through slave labor and taken advantage of to harvest these shea nuts by, by multiple factors, whether it was politically or socially. And so I make sure that I work with a company where they, pr- 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 they provide a very supportive and enriching environment that's women safe and make sure that they have a means of ways to make a living and also are honored in that same way because shea butter is a very important spiritual aspect to the people themselves. How many, how many iterations of the bomb did it, did you have to make until you came up with one that really worked for you? Cause I imagine, I mean, I imagine it definitely took some trial and error. <laughs> uh, probably around 250. That's, and that's, and that's being, I think on the smaller side. Wow. There is so many different, and you'll see, I don't know if you formulate it all, but crystallization of butter is something very tricky to figure out. I'm sure even if you can go to a grocery store right now and buy a shea butter product, it might be grainy. So there's a lot of trade secrets in figuring out how to make very smooth body butter solve. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's interesting to think that it's not, I mean, not only is it the formulation, but it's also even down to like getting the consistency just right. Oh, yeah. It's that's all. That's why the whole term, you know, chemistry is so important, figuring that out, Um, because I didn't want people to put their hand in a jar and it to be too hard, to be too oily. I didn't want it to, you know, if it melts during the summer, if it if it resolidifies, I don't want it to be grainy. I I put a lot of thought process into the application (laughs) of it. That's so funny. I was not expecting you to ask that, but that's my little pitch is the smoothest body butter (laughs) you'll ever try. That's good to know. I mean, it definitely sold me on it already. So of course, in my world, I kind of work primarily with CBD and THC, but I have a lot of, which are natural plant constituents, but I have a lot of patients who are a little bit weary of them due to either their personal history or to, you know, the many years of information that we've been fed. So 
Aside from those, what alternative plant-based therapies have you found have been helpful for managing chronic pain and also just promoting overall well-being? Well, for chronic pain, like in terms of like not topical or any like meditation use, but rather, sorry, I just wanted you to clarify the question. Oh, yeah, definitely. So not just topical, but also including topical. Because right now we have, like like you said, the resurgence in CBD topicals and THC topicals, which are, are plants that I often see being, I mean, I work in that field, so I see it often. But there's a lot of patients that are kind of apprehensive towards it. So what would you recommend they kind of look into or do their own research about? Mm, okay. This question is very close to my heart, too, because I'm actually, I'm four years sober from THC. Yeah, so, I, but the thing is, is I know I don't want to, and you can edit this out, I don't want to scare anyone with that history because I also think there's a very important part of that research for people that is healing like for instance my aunt has Parkinson's and THC gummies have calmed her tremors completely so I don't know if how to answer that question without you know putting more you know I don't want I don't want them to feel like I'm projecting my own Well, honesty is always the best policy. I'm not I'm not too worried about that at all, just because I, I want people to get a full, honest picture. As you said, with plants, we have to take safety into account as well. And harm reduction is always part of the game. Mm-hmm. So I don't mind, you know, your your truth. Oh, okay. I appreciate if that. If you're comfortable sharing. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'm four years sober from both alcohol and weed. Congrats. Thank you. And the first question people are like, well, how could you get addicted to weed? And although it's not a psychoactive substance, I felt myself really, really yearning for an escapism. So even down to, you know, I've, I've seen people even just misuse like CBD drops, you know, because we're, we're itching for this, this sort of, I would say almost just like another reality that doesn't hurt. And so within my own journey, that's, that's also why I had to get into this. I, when I sobered up from weed, actually is when I figured out I had chronic pain issues. (laughs) That's usually how it goes. Yeah. I had no idea my body was in pain every day. And so that's, that's why I had to create something topically and start doing lifestyle changes. Because although for instance, my aunt, she has Parkinson's and THC gummies work amazing for her. There's other people like myself that, you know, are, are genuinely, I, I misused it, unfortunately. And, and although that plant is sacred and the, the plant itself is giving us a visitation, you know, I, I, I had to move past something that I would, you know, escape into and explore and kind of just sit with myself. And, and <laughs> sitting with myself is almost, you know, it's a scary concept, um, but that's, you know, where we go into, you know, meditation and meditation is such a broad topic, but there's there's different types of meditation you could do. Mantra chanting or japa is, you know, putting a single-minded focus while holding a plant, you know, and honoring that plant and, you know, using using different types of brain waves to calm it down instead of, you know, doing that. And uh, even down to, I know we don't, this, uh, this topic does not really come up a lot, but plant medicine and incense, the way that, let's say, burning them affects you you know sage is antibacterial that's that's a huge medicine and and that's a that's something that is very very calming if you you know you can't if you can't you know smoke anymore or you know you can't take edibles there are so many other ways to utilize those beautiful plants in a healing way that might not be destructive to your own personal path
Yeah. First off, thanks for sharing. Because I definitely understand how intimate that could be. Trying to dive into your own relationship with cannabis is something that all of us, I mean, myself included, everyone that works in, in this industry, everyone who has a lifelong relationship with this plant at some point finds themselves wrestling with. Am I using this for medicinal purposes? Am I using this just to use it? Am I addicted to this? Mm-hmm. Am I using it as escapism? And I think that that's something that everyone has to weigh for their own personal their own personal relationship because everyone's a little bit different everyone's body's different on how it's actually interacting on a molecular level and everyone's different on how their minds actually why are they reaching for the joint that time you know mm-hmm. everyone's a little bit different that way so i think that's something that we all have to consider and i really appreciate sharing your story because that's i know i myself have gone through moments i can look back and there are certain times in my life where i was definitely abusing cannabis 100 percent was there are times in my life where i was abusing cannabis there's times in my life where i was abusing video games, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's just how how human nature can be exploited, unfortunately. And I think that we have to be particularly mindful and conscious of these plant medicines because, much like tobacco, eventually it's going to stop. Eventually, it's going to stop giving us benefits. Eventually, it's going to start giving us harm. Exactly, and you know, during this plant renaissance, I'm always I I call for people to be you know you know truthful and honest with their journey, so you know it doesn't get into that that same culture because it's you know, there, there is no quick fix, even, even doing, you know, plant medicine, there's, there's no quick fix. It has to be super holistic and, and being very honest with ourselves, because, you know, if there, if we are, you know, continuing a narrative of, you know, plant, plant medicine is foolproof, you know, even that's a, that's almost as, you know, discerning as saying, you know, the way that, you know, alcohol is even developed, right? There's, I feel like there's a new type of, um, celebrity making making an alcohol. I've been told when you know our parents were our age, they are you could go in a liquor store and there was maybe like a wall of it, but now there's like seven. And so we we I think humans are like I said, going back to the inventions, we're we're always trying to recreate something, but we're missing just something that's right in front of us. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. We're missing something that's directly in front of us. Yeah. Beyond the physical aspects, how do you see holistic health kind of impacting mental and emotional well being? Oh yeah, there is a. There's a direct correlation. There's a direct correlation, and it, it, you know we can get into woo woo. I love woo woo stuff, uh, but I also think a lot of listeners here, are, you know, are attracted to your work because you do take a very scientific and clinical aspect to your to your research, and just just look up just look up any research they've done while hooking up a Buddhist monk <laughs> to an MRI machine while he while he meditates and see the difference in brain activity. Um, one of the you know I've worked with actually a couple of people in substance abuse centers that introduce meditation to help brain plasticity affect, you know, substance abuse and rehabilitation, because we get into this mindset where, you know, we say, oh, you know, I have, I have a mental illness and, you know, we've all been there and you feel kind of stuck and you feel like you might be living with this the rest of your life. You're like, okay, well, you know, I had trauma growing up. This is why my brain's the way it is. And I just have to accept, but when you get into, you know, the psychoemotional aspect of this, your brain is, your brain can literally change. There are, you can rewire it. And, and I've seen this too, with even research with, with mushrooms, the way that it, 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 it distinguishes the different synapses that it's doing. Those are, those are completely new pathways that have not been there before. Um, and so, you know, finding a balance between, you know, am I abusing this, but rather, you know, maybe I do this once in a while to maybe have a reset. Let me see what it can do in a healing way. I'm, I'm super supportive of that. 
Yeah, I agree. One thing whenever it comes to mushrooms specifically that I think about is how our brain falls into these ruts immediately. Every day we carve our brain into deeper ruts. We think about like, oh, well, I have to get these bills done. I'm not good enough for this. I'm never going to do this, etc. Whatever, whatever your narrative is that everyone's always constantly feeding themselves. And every day that we wake up and continue to feed that narrative, that groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So it's harder to really get out of that frame of thought. And I find that with mushrooms, you find conditions like depression or anxiety or one mental health conditions that can somewhat be attributed to living in that rut, living in that groove that you've constantly been feeding yourself, living in that narrative. And I find that mushrooms shake that up, allow you to step outside that narrative and view a different perspective. And it's amazing to see that the clinical research is kind of, it, the, the clinical research is backing that up. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. What are some out of so studying Nordic herbalism and the Vedic principles? What are some other plants that Western medicine just isn't privy to yet that you would love to see gain some traction? Mm. Where do I start? I'm trying to. <laughs> right. God, there's so, so many. I'll say with the name of your company being Dandelions Alchemy, I'll say dandelions <laughs> are a big one. I would like to see more more people understand that they do have a medicinal purpose. Oh my God, dandelions is crazy. So it's. It's I love it. And the reason why it's called Dandelion's Alchemy is because, you know, there's so many there's so much of the earth from all around the world that have these really amazing medicinal properties that are that are very specific to their natural climate. But dandelions is something that exists everywhere. So I really felt strongly that it was some sort of binding thread with all of us. And, you know, we think of dandelions as a weed. But to other people, it's medicine. And so if that's our train of thought as people here in the West, what else are we missing? Or why are we trying to kill something that's supposed to harm us? And so it was more of a bigger picture of things. And, you know, recently, I've actually been working with people who have recovered from alcohol, and have completely destroyed their liver functioning. If you, if you are in kind of post post recovery of that, and you completely shot your liver, having dandelion root tea, like in the morning and at the night, for, for a month straight can actually reactivate your liver because it's the bitters that you need. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's my, I would say it's really good for alcohol damage to your liver. If you're a heavy drinker, put some, put some dandelions in your tea. Wow. That's a really good point to make. And to, to your point, we view dandelions as a weed and other parts of the world and other cultures, they view them as a medicine. So what are we missing? That's a really good point. Yeah, we're kind of a backward society. Like, you know, you you've been mentioned earlier, we're we're like, oh wow, this this does this. Oh my gosh, this new natural medicine. Like, go go to a village, they'll laugh at you. They'll be like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, of course. And, and even if you go like ment- look at mental health in any sort of village. Let me know if those people are as sad as, you know, the Wall Wall Street trader that's making a million dollars a year. <laughs> Yeah, we live in a, a crazy discourse in America, and I think it's that disconnect. I really think that's the disconnect is because we're so disconnected from the natural course of why we're even of why we're able to be here today. Yeah, and I think it, it starts with the food and water. I think I think absolutely. You know, if you spend years, and I've spent a lot of money on just like a proper filtration system with you know re- even trace minerals. I know that's that would be a rock, but I, I still feel very strongly about people getting their trace minerals at this point. It's like if you're consistently malnutritioned, you're you're not going to even understand what it feels like 
to to live like a natural life like that where you can just be with a group of people and be happy you're you're running towards this like this this money and this this greed like it's good it's good to have money that you can live and you can enjoy and you can experience but i think we fall we are we are so you know we're not understanding what it feels like just to be content with yourself and it starts with chronic toxicity that was another reason why i started the company is because chronic toxicity is the silent killer to all of us because even with clinical trials they'll be like you know let's say we come out with a new chemical coke that there's a new thing there they just brought up the that the the artificial sweetener is like carcinogenic well they did trials when they made it and it wasn't carcinogenic yeah. what's the issue well now they're seeing 20 30 year use and bringing it back to that so that's that's a perfect example of chronic toxicity that you're not that you're you're publishing that things are safe but it's actually not when you are using natural ingredients the re you can still get chronic toxicity if you like you let's say you put like a bottle of cinnamon essential oil on your body at one time but if you use it as directed you won't get chronic toxicity from something because again your body has grown from nature itself it knows how to filter it out i i would say it's similar to dumping toxins in water eventually like it you know it it, it seeps into the water and it slowly makes it more toxic it's not and, and and then you start getting dead fish it's that your body works the same way it doesn't know how to filter out those but let's say i put some let me i'll just throw some shea butter in water it's not going to it's not going to make the water toxic it's just going to go back into the soil and the soil can decompose it and it, it's fine we don't know how to decompose synthetic ingredients whether it's in nature or on our bodies yeah, it sounds like as far as the pharmaceutical industry and the market is evolving much faster than the human biology can keep up with in terms of digesting the food, being able to filter out the water, being able to filter out all the constant toxins that we're putting in from our food, our water, our pharmaceuticals, etc. And then not to mention, not to mention the constant psychological onslaught from just the culture at large. Yep. And then, you know, next step is to add transhumanism with robots <laughs> because we have we have so many issues now that we have to create a new invention to fix it. <laughs> it just yeah, it seems yeah. like madness when you say it out loud. Yeah, it is. Well, one that I think about, this is really just me, just a thought experiment I like to sit with alone at night, is that so if the human core, the natural course of evolution created man, and then it would, it would seems that me, a man, a caveman creating fire and a stone axe is also a natural course of evolution. But at what point does that, fire and stone axe to a boat turn into a smartphone and transhumanism and uploading your consciousness to the ai cloud and morphing with ultra like where where is it no longer the natural course of evolution because i do think that innovation like we we see chimpanzees use tools we see birds use tools i think innovation is never is a natural course but at what point did it become detrimental to our survival mm -hmm. well i i really enjoy this topic too because I mean, I, I run my, my business, but I also am actually a, a partner marketing manager in big tech. And I do a lot of public speaking on AI. And recently, my tone has changed from, you know, the innovative standpoint to what, what does this actually do to us as humans? Yeah. And, you know, and this is, we'll get into We can get into the spiritual part. You go to, you go to India and you can see very, very enlightened yogis do things that you might think is fiction. And so I think this innovation is coming from the fact that 
we as humans are dreaming of these futuristic, you know, unlimited abundant goals. That's where it comes from. We want, we want abundance. We want, we want to be able to, you know, see our dreams, stuff like this. The technology already exists all within yourself, but because we have grown so far detached from it, we're trying to create it again outside of ourselves. So even down to like DMT, you can release DMT yourself through very intense sadhana practice. There, there's, there's, you know, there's literally shamans that can, can do ancestral work. They can do dream traveling. I think that is the, the juxtaposition of what they're trying to do with the metaverse is they're like, we want something that seems supernatural that we don't have. And so we're trying to innovate to create it. Um, but what does your body look like being, you know, the yogis seem to be fine in handling that energy, but what happens when you put on a metaverse mask for 20 hours? What happens to the blue light to your eyes? What happens to your, what happens to your literal sense of self? So they're both trying to achieve the same thing, except one is harmful to the system. Yeah. And one's external versus the internal. Yeah. And what do, what do we, we're not trying to, I mean, there's external work to do, but inner work and the inner path is, is the most important thing for all of us to take. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that we could look at yogis in the East and see the things that they're doing and we would look at them with, there's that old adage that if you had a a cell phone 20 years, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, they would think that it's magic. So if we were to look to the yogis in the East, the things that they're doing are magic and we could probably learn many lessons of how we're trying to do it with wires and technology and ones and zeros and the external as opposed to looking to the internal. And I think that's a, a very powerful lesson to learn. I wonder how many how many generations it'll take to unpack that one. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite story to tell is there's like there's really really great mind readers in the villages that can it can literally figure out like what you're thinking of very quickly. But now they're developing technology of like headsets where you know they can monitor your brain waves um, and actually no they can decipher now what you're saying or thinking. That's scary. Ba- based off of it, but the difference what I've seen is one the the yogis are doing this because they have intense sadhana. And they're doing very, I would say, very austeric work that requires humility. Whereas now we have the technology. We don't have to go through all that. We don't have to wake up with the sun. We don't have to eat well. We don't have to treat people kindly to get bestowed these these types of gifts. I need a subscription. Yes, now it's okay. Subscribe. So, you know, when you're doing a a TED Talk, you know in the audience instantly if they liked what you said or not. So the worlds are colliding. It's almost like a singularity. (laughs) It, it really is. And I think that that's something to take about the, the supposed singularity is that it's worlds from every direction colliding. And I think mm. that's really what's about to happen. Like, it's scary to think about, but I mean, at the same time, it's kind of beautiful. It's scary. It, it's scary if you don't know what you're doing with yourself. Um, if you don't have a firm foundation yourself, it can be scary. And so when it comes to just overall plant medicine and, and lifestyle, really, one, put in the research for yourself to really, really experiment and find, you know, your, your group of people that really understand what you're going through. Cause spiritual community Sangha is so important for self-development in itself and really just learning, learning your sort of connection with divine, whether it's Vedic or, you know, whether you really, your ancestral heritage is more leaning towards, you know, like an Ecuadorian rainforest, like there, there is beauty and there is holiness and everything. And making sure you have some sort of connection to something higher than yourself. Like as above, so below. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said. Well, I guess my next question is what are you working on next, Sarah? And where can people find you online? (laughs) So I'm working on actually a a 10 product skincare line. 
And the, the reason for that too is the skincare industry is like one of the most polluting factors of our bodies and the environment. And so there's a lot of work to be done in forming proper, you know, just labor chains, not using palm oil, stuff like that. And, and, and I want, you know, I want people to have a morning routine that makes them refreshed, but also really just it, it, it makes them, you know, bring back and center themselves in the morning. So skincare is my next, my next line. And they can find me on Instagram, dandelions underscore alchemy or online at dandelions.co. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining Plant Save My Life today. I appreciate you sharing your story. And I really appreciate you doing the good work out there to help bridge the gap between these two worlds. Oh, thank you so much, Raven. And thank you for the work that you're doing. This is extremely important. So keep doing you. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> So that was Sarah Lyons, owner of Dandelions Alchemy, which you can find online via her website, dandelionsalchemy.co, or her Instagram, at dandelions underscore alchemy. And dandelions is spelled D-A-N-D-E-L-Y-O-N-S, Dandelions Alchemy. Once again, I'm your host, Raven, and I thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode of Plant Save My Life. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to share it with someone else who you know would enjoy it. I'd also be eternally grateful and forever indebted to your will if you were to just take a second and give the show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. That helps us spread the love far and wide into the cosmos. Thank you again for listening. For questions, comments, and community, connect with us over on our official Instagram at plantsavemylife.pod. Until next time, everyone, have a beautiful week.